Peace. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back. My name is Sonny Ture. This is Akid G. And we would like to welcome you to the Fire This Time podcast. Episode 17. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for coming back. If you're a returner, this is your first time listening. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you get comfortable. We hope you uh, keep on tuning in. Uh, but yeah, go on and welcome the people real righteously, I kid. Well, you know, welcome to the podcast. We're definitely happy to be back for you again. We're happy that you're back in here with us again. Um, you know, we're going to try to keep it nice and tight and truthful and fire and all that other G shit that we like doing. Um, always remember to like and share. Mm-hmm. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, MySpace, whatever, Black Planet, all of them. You know, um, and um, let's get it in. Yeah. So today we'll be talking about uh, having kind of a part two to our conversation about uh, the election and black men's vote, especially surrounding um, some of the headlines with uh, Ice Cube. And uh, what he's doing with the contract for Black America, and we'll be kind of picking apart uh, a Brittany Cooper interview yeah. with uh, the Washington Post, where she uh, lays out some some real interesting arguments that we'll get into. Aki, seriously, um, and we're also going to have a conversation today about uh, the Supreme Court justice that was just the third Trump Supreme Court justice that was just installed last night. He put in work, ain't he, Bruh. The conservatives be. They ain't playing no games. They fuck all that shit. We're going to be working behind the scenes. That's what they say. So, yeah, a lot to talk about today, uh, as you can see. But, uh, you know, to start things off, why don't we get into this week's fire, Aki? Who we got for this week's fire, Aki? So this week's fire, we're actually going to take it back uh, to a historical event from 1960. And what happened in 1960 on this day? By the way, today is uh, Tuesday, October 27th. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. released on bond from the Georgia State Prison in Reedsville, Georgia. So, uh, and I'm reading this from BlackFacts.com. We was was like, yo, we need a This Week's Fire segment. Let me look up something real quick and boom, a dope connection. So we're going to get into this. So Black Facts also says on this that political observers said the Kennedy call increased the number of black voters who ensured his election. Mm. So this automatically sent off, uh, I guess, things in my memory. You know what I'm saying? Just some things I read about our history and some important connections I think we can make to this very moment. So what that's referring to is in 1960, uh, uh, they were about uh, a week or two away from the election, John F. Kennedy's election as president. Mm. And I can't remember uh, at this very moment who he was running against in 1960. But um, it, was, it was a tight race. And uh, his call, and I think he worked with his brother, I believe Robert F. Kennedy, who was yeah. working on his campaign. They were connected, of course, or you know, at least try to make symbolic connections to the civil rights movement. Yeah. And uh, with it, their connections, Robert F. Kennedy facilitated with John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King, who was arrested for protest yeah. in Georgia, uh, facilitated a call to the Georgia, I guess, uh, penal institutions mm-hmm. for uh, Martin Luther King's arrest, and once it was publicized in the media that Kennedy helped release the civil rights leader of this era, Dr. King, the greatest mm. humanist of mm-hmm. you know yeah. the, the the U.S. You know what yeah. I'm saying? He was, uh, you know, of course, John F. Kennedy's prestige amongst Black America was raised, and not only that, and this is something we can get into, Aki, mm-hmm. but uh, the Democratic Party. Uh, having the African American support solidified to the high numbers that we recognize today, this is also the turning point for that. Oh, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, what do you think about this? Uh, what I've said so far, Aki? I mean, you know, um, I guess that's pretty much what you're saying is that's the point when you know they got they they was able to they where we started to vote, I guess, overwhelmingly Democrat. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. That sound about right, you know. I know. I think the first time we made some of that was like in um, the time of Roosevelt. But um, you know, I never knew of that incident, and it makes sense because that's sort of how it went. Now it's crazy because we got Nixon right after that, mm. <laughs> and we and 
I don't think we voted overwhelmingly for Nixon. We know, I know we didn't, because he was a law and order man, mm-hmm. and he did the war on drugs. So you know, um, you know, it's a. We gotta wait at the end of the day to see if that even, if that even gonna um, pan out this year. Oh, for sure, for sure. You know, pan out this year. But you know that, like you said, that ties us into a lot mm-hmm. of uh. So it, what's going on right now? So, just to get into a little bit more of this history, Aki. Um, it's it's a little if you dig a little deeper, you know what I'm saying, and 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 look into okay, Kennedy, you know, solidified his black support with this uh, uh, move and other moves, that, you know, other speeches he gave, right? Yeah. Uh, with his campaign, he got so he's elected president. Now, when he's president, what type of policies does he pursue? What type of urgency does he give to civil rights, right? Mm-hmm. And also, what type of federal and uh, state circuit judges as far as the, the judges that the president can appoint the federal circuit judges mm-hmm. that the that the president can appoint yeah uh, what type of judges does John F. Kennedy appoint right mm-hmm. because we know that that federal circuit court judges as far as when civil rights cases are coming up in yeah. different states uh, these federal circuit court judges are I believe critical yeah. of things going to the Supreme Court potentially or how things are, of course, decided on, uh, you know, in the federal court system. Yeah. Uh, at its different levels. So, of course, the president has a lot of power. We see how Trump is wielding that power. Yes. So, what does John F. Kennedy do after he helps the leader, Martin Luther King, with his yeah. individual case? Mm-hmm. He installs conservative judges. Mm. Judges that are anti-civil rights mo- uh, movement yeah. and black empowerment uh, in the federal court system. And mm. what what effect does this have, Aki? It has the effect of forestalling civil rights and black empowerment for decades, if not, you know, to the present day. Mm-hmm. John F. Kennedy played his part in preserving that white supremacist yeah. system yeah. through the court system. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a contradiction, I guess, worth pointing out. The fact that, of course, John F. Kennedy helped this individual leader, Dr. King, yeah. get out of prison. That was a political play. But then as activists... Uh, had their cases play out as far as their repression by the government, but also cases for policy reform that come up from education, from uh, yeah. whatever type of medical or um, uh, business-related type of uh, reforms that black communities are pursuing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? These things, the circuit court judges are also important in that mm. and how those cases are decided. Now, ask your question again. This took place when? In the 60s. And, and, and no, the, no, no, I'm talking about when uh, he was released from prison again what exactly was the year uh 1960 so this was the 1960 presidential election okay so this is right before yeah i think this is a week or two before the actual election day because i could probably say yeah that's like the start of the shift because then i think like okay when john f kennedy was killed um or not even when john f kennedy was killed when when martin was killed that was another turning point it's like it was a build-up, seems like it. Mm-hmm. Because it all accumulated, like, seems like with Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm. You know, because mm. he was the one who passed the Civil Rights Bill. Right, right. And he came after Nixon. Did he come before Nixon? No, Lyndon B. Johnson. He didn't come before... No, um, Lyndon B. Johnson was, I believe, John F. Kennedy's vice president. There we and, go. and I think Lyndon B. Johnson, after Kennedy was killed, took it upon himself to... to sign uh, that bill. Th- to get the bill passed. But, of course... As we know, uh, it was boneless. It was spi- it was <laughs> it was a spineless bill. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was more symbolic. And we know that the integration efforts that came that stemmed from that tore away our power as a people. You know what I'm saying? Then Nixon coming in and hit you with black capitalism. And and of course, uh, there there are advances for the middle class. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But there's also advances for white women. There you go. Uh, and, 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 the biggest and, and, chunk. I mean, the biggest chunck, and, and, and then now it's extending over. You know what I'm saying? It goes to all different sectors. Um, you know? But it, I guess just taking it back to the symbolic gesture, you yeah. know what I'm saying, of, 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 of helping Dr. King with this uh, mm-hmm. case, you know what I'm saying? And then, of course, eight years later, Dr. King is killed in 68. And, um,. You know, uh, you know I, I, I hope that y'all, I guess, see that, you know, the importance of this history and, and its connection. And, um, yeah, I mean. Uh, it's, when we, it's when we started to switch. 
I ain't gonna nah. say not, nah. not when we started. I'm just messing. But just it's messing. when it's maybe when that <laughs> that switch was uh, most solidly you know hit. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And, 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 because and, both sides just teased us through the years. Uh, and don't forget where the Democrats started. Pro slavery. It was the Republicans. Yeah. That was trying to uh, you know uh, you know the radical Republican plans, if carried out. Yeah. Uh, after the Civil War, would have saw us with reparations. Would've, yeah. W- if if the most radical Republican plans were carried out, you would have saw some of these Confederate leaders executed, executed, and, and and disallowed from entering back into the Union. Yeah. But of course, what happened? Their incorporation was negotiated after the liberal progressives lost their stomach mm-hmm. for fighting for African-American rights. Yeah. So then you have another presidential election uh, at some point in the 70s. I, I, I might fuck up in the year. Uh, uh, in, in 1877, the Hayes-Tilden. Exactly. That's the compromise. They call Hayes-Tilden. Hayes-Tilden compromise. Yep, the great compromise of 1877. There you, you got it, Aki. Hey, but what do we call it? As as black scholars, as black, as black intellectuals. The betrayal. That's the great betrayal. You know. it's, it's when the so-called defenders of our rights, you know what I'm saying, the Republicans, the progressive or liberal wing of the whatever, you, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them, you know what I'm saying, the people that so-called fought, you know, this war on our behalf. Yeah. They 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 turned our communities mainly still based in the south over back to the wolves. They withdrew yeah. the troops. And as a negotiation between the north and the south between conservatives and for the presidency uh, Right, just for the presidency. And, and also, there was uh, other aspects of yeah. that, that great compromise as far yeah. as how power and resources changed hands. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that was a withdrawal of troops and a, and a giving back of the reins yeah. to the South. To uh, the states. Yes, uh, to determine how they're going to fuck with yeah. black people. So, so of course, you know, we, we know about the Klan. We, we know about the Nadir. We know about lynching. Yeah. We know about how... How harshly we were repressed after this great betrayal. We entered the Nadir, the lowest point of our yeah. history, mm-hmm. uh, after this great betrayal. And so, you know, President killing all the gang, killing all the gains that we was making. We was putting people in political office. Mm-hmm. You know, we was um, building communities, and and, and and we was trying to heal as a community because a lot of us were still looking for our family. And there was no state or federal court coming to our aid, really, mm-hmm. as land theft after land theft was occurring. Oh, yeah. Even yeah. without reparations, yeah, we 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 gain land. Doesn't that speak to the the resilience of our people? Yeah. Even without reparations, during the Nadir after Reconstruction, we were still seeking ways to empower ourselves. Yeah, and you know this this, this country did not come to our aid as as land was stolen, as racial terrorism was wrought across our community. Because that's pretty much what they did. They, they unleashed the Klan on us. They look. They went by the shotgun policy. Oh, African American, you want to get involved in politics? We going by the shotgun policy. And check this out. I, I was looking at this. This is weird, and I say go off point on this, but it's just weird because um, I was looking at a show where they were showing old cartoons from the, like the eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. They got a cartoon with a black man with the paper vote on it, and he's walking. These of all these white dudes, and they had all these different hats on. But it had, you know, it made me think. It made. Did, Thinking about having this conversation made me go back and think about them because, you know, you had these white dudes and one dude, they were called the white hats. And then I looked up the white hats. Mm. The guy who looked up, the he, he went right on Google and Googled the white hats, which was an organization in Louisiana, a white racist organization in Louisiana that fought to suppress the vote. This is and Now, this cartoon came from the Reconstruction period. He looked up a one, another, uh, another guy had a hat on and it said cracker on it. And then he Googled that up. And it was a group of white people from Florida. They was the crackers. They called themselves the crackers? They called themselves the crackers. Hold on, kid. We might be on to something. You know what I'm saying? They called the Florida crackers. If I get up, I can Google it now. Because I'm following them on this. And so these are all these groups that existed. Had the scallywags. Hmm. Irishmen come out of New York. This is a cartoon. A, a, a political cartoon drawn in a national paper mm-hmm. having this in there. And it's crazy how you look at, at that and you say, well, damn. And, and the concept was, we are here, you ain't voting. And they even had it written on the cartoon, I mean, in the cartoon, like in the background, like, we know the Constitution give all men's rights, but the hell with that. Like, they, hey, just, just like they, they know what they're doing now, they knew what they was doing then. You know, robbery is real. 
Robbery, right. land theft, rob- like you know, our, our, our reparations claim need to be a lot of shit. Like I'm charging mm-hmm. you for the crime of robbery and land, land theft, wealth theft, generational wealth theft. Mm-hmm. How you pay that back? Hmm. But you know, we got to move on, people. You know, got to get on into the uh, get on into the show. You know, um, just to touch on some uh, current news. You know, um, the Supreme Court. Got a new judge. Hmm. Yes, Republicans have voted. What is her name? Amy. Uh, what's her name again? Um, Aki, you asking the wrong the one. The Amy chick. You asking the wrong one. It's a white woman and it's an Amy chick, and she's a conservative. And now she on the White House. It's sad that I, you know, I don't care about the member and their names like that. No, nah, I'm, I'm pulling it up, Haki. You know, we gotta, uh, we gotta come with some facts. You know what I'm saying? You know, I don't care. Just know it's an Amy. You know who it is? I mean, Amy. We'll just go with Amy. Yeah, you know what I'm saying it's Amy. Oh, yeah, it's Amy. Amy. We got an Amy on the Supreme Court now. Um, she was elected. When was that? Last night? Mm, yeah, she was fully installed last night. Fully installed last night. So they give us a, what, a 6-3 split? Now, I think, Aki, she only has, if, if I'm correct, I think I read this, she only has three years experience, and I don't think she's ever tried a case before. It, <laughs> hey, they don't care nothing about that. Guess what? She young. Oh my you know God. how long you got her? She probably in her 40s, maybe, to the oldest, in her 40s. She, and, she, and had to be real, she's a lady, ladies live longer. You know, uh, she got a, she got some Ruth Ginsburg ears in her. You know, real talk. So, you know, on my conspiracy theorist shit, you know what I'm saying? Because the Democrats are just rolling over on all this. Obama rolled over on putting in a judge. Mm-hmm. The Dem- and the Democrats rolled over putting on a judge. Uh, Trump done put in three. We know what he's doing the federal court system. He done lapped Obama about two, three times as far as the, the number of judges he's putting in. You know? So the Democrats just, is spineless. You know what I'm saying? So... The conspiracy theory of, you know, that the elites are just, you know, uh, pining for the Great Reset. I don't even know what they mean by that, really. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But just, you know, it, it, it does seem like—no, it, it, it doesn't seem like it. The Democrats and Republicans are wet at the hip yeah. as far as an elite class of Americans. You know what I'm saying? They're looking out for their elitist interests. Yes. Ultimately. Yes. Ultimately. There are some factional differences, but we know that, you know, some of these motherfuckers that hate Trump— Love Trump just a few years ago. There you go. A decade ago, they loved Trump. They was all with it. So, you know, they, and I think they see the coming transformations in our economy, our, our labor economy, mm-hmm. in terms of how, you know, technology is changing things. And, yeah. you know, they, they, things got to change. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I, I think more and more, like, people are waking up and things, you know, in our lifetime are going to change drastically. Yeah. Or, or you know, uh, they're going to descend Drastically, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, one way or the other. So you know, yeah, it, it, it's kind of you know not really on no conspiracy theory stuff, but uh, you know, w- think it's the w- setup. It's the setup. It's a it's a setup, bro. I mean, setup. They don't. They're not really worried about what Trump doing. It don't seem like Pelosi and them, the, these Democrat, this party in general. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm-mm. and I mean, you know, that's that could be just like a Hayes Tilden deal, a backdoor deal going on. I let you keep the courts. You give me the presidency. seat. Mm-hmm. Now you got six on there, but six is a three, six, three split, six, four split. What? The six, three. What type of deal are Democrats willing to make with Republicans to get more seats on the Supreme Court? I don't know. Is that what we're looking at next? Is that, that, is that what type of deal we're looking at? Is, is it going to be a deal for more seats on the Supreme Court? And, and what are the what are the conservatives, Republicans, going to demand? And that, be, but, but because this, I mean, th- there's going to be some push from the people. It seems, yeah, that, that you know, to support the Democrats in putting more people on the Supreme Court or changes the Supreme Court. Now, what is that going to be funneled into by the Democratic Party? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So, what I do mean, you, think? you put it in the context of it's more of a thing of like you know, I think that I think with first of all, you can't get you can't get the Supreme Court seats now. That's a life seat. You got it for life unless that person decides, unless you can force one of them to take a seat. You know, 
Then the only way you gonna have that spot is if somebody die or retire. Democrats, some Democrats are already talking about adding more seats to the Supreme Court. I don't know. I mean, but then that'd be then that, but then you're right. That would be another fight. That'd be another argument and fight that they're gonna be battling within the Republicans, Democrats. That's why I don't fuck with either one of them. You know what I'm saying? Um, to some extent, we should have our own damn really political party, but you know that's so far fetched that you know. Yeah, I, I don't really see that as a solution either, Aki. As far as adding more seats, yeah, you're just, you're just kicking the the can down the road. Yeah, it's it, it's gonna be another argument that's going on now because don't forget we got to think in my lifetime presidencies even with um, Bush, Obama, and them they was arguing for who controlled the Senate and who gonna control the Congress. Like they was having beefs and arguments and power struggles over that. I wonder what the uh, this if a survey of na- national survey how many Americans would support the ending of life terms, mm-hmm. lifetime terms for the Supreme Court. I think it would be a majority. I think it would be a majority, too, because um, I think we were talking about this earlier. You know, in the case of the just the, the concept of the United States and even them breaking free from the from the uh, Britain, it was about ending the monar- monarchy, mm-hmm. the British monarchy, that type of rule system under one, you know, who in that one, he controls the legislative, the, the judicial and he got the executive seat. But in America, even though they they took that and they broke it down and broke it into you know three uh, not political bodies but entities, mm-hmm. the judicial is the only one that got the seat for life. Mm-hmm. The highest judicial court, they got seats for life. Mm-hmm. So the monarchy is there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so to some extent, you still have the the monarchy going. Now the monarchy isn't. Um, one person mm-hmm. is still spread out, mm-hmm. but they the ones who make shit happen. So I mean, yeah, I think that would be a great idea to take the the, the kill uh, uh, life terms of you know men or women that become Supreme Court judges because you got to think when they get on the office, like if a person is a conservative, right? Well, if they a straight conservative. Normally they don't even get that seat. Like this, I think this lady is probably the youngest one to get on there. And I'm thinking, like I said, to the I'm thinking to the most, she's in her 40s. Mm-hmm. You know? So Yeah, she got young children. Yeah. So if you're talking like that, then that means a person is generally settled in who the hell they are mm-hmm. when they like 35, 40. Mm-hmm. They are who they are. If she a conservative, she done been married, she got kids. She is who she is. You getting, you getting, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm just looking at the way he playing, but he playing the game. You know, you getting a person on there already that's settled into who they are. They ain't changing shit. And most of the judges they hit the goddamn Supreme Court, they in they f- 60s. Mm-hmm. So they are who they are. And it really speaks to our need as a collective to, we got to expand our uh, just as a mass of people, of course, yeah. you know our ideology is what it is. But yeah. you know, as a mass, we got to push the mass, and we we all got to, you know, expand our tactics beyond just the electoral strategy. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because you're seeing some doors and opportunities be closed with that strategy. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Uh, with how things are changing, we have to come to accept that the federal court system, potentially for decades is going to be not be a place where we are going to win substantial rights. Yeah. It's it's coming to that unless there is some type of transformative change or protest movement that can uh somehow alter things mm-hmm. that comes quick. I mean, a total revolution would be nice, but yeah. uh, uh I I doubt um, I ain't going to say I doubt, but we're going to see. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I mean it really speaks to our need to, you know, uh, just increase our range as yeah. as a people. I mean, I think as a people, you know, more we get, yeah, we got to increase our range. We we do have to think in a more political, like a body type way, mm. um, because um, right now this is white folks having this argument. Mm-hmm. I mean, I ain't saying it's just white folks. They're black people in there, and, and they choosing sides too. And the other people's. But, like, this is two brothers, just like back in the day, 
with the North and the South, they having beefs with each other, right? Um, but for me, you sort of go to something I heard the other day. They all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, bro. They, they all the same. I don't see my yeah. They all the same. I, I in saying that, I still you know uh, our uh, Fundy's words are you know echoing in my mind mm-hmm. that you know it's still important for us to vote. I still feel. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, and get you know the fast, you know, I guess the the hyper fascist in Trump out yeah. of office, and because I I do believe that if Biden is in in office, there is a certain uh, I, I'm not sure what type of weight, you know what I'm saying, but I I do think it better positions black people to resist. I mean, you know what I'm saying, yeah. it, it, like I I I don't think, uh, yeah, I think it might position us better to resist, but. You know, I'm still even in saying that, Aki. I'm still worried about how black misleadership could, you know, mislead the energy that comes see, with a body. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah. To see the the worry, the, I, like I understand it's you, it's a struggle and tear with that because tr- in with under Trump, you trying to organize under resistance. What resistance? Mm-hmm. Under under definite hostile conditions, mm-hmm. right? Then you got the Democrats, and even though they really know different, mm-hmm. it is it is a more relax not relaxed. I don't want to say it like that on some lazy shit, but it it it, it is a it is a a, a more organizing environment. You have a better opportunity to organize. But I hear your fear though, mm-hmm. because if if Biden wins, we could do like we did. During other presidencies, when we were riled up. And this is going to be a good transition to our next topic, you know, that we're going to take up after the break. When Ice Cube comes out and says that we should treat both parties as enemies, we should treat both parties as people resistant to our liberation, to our progress. Yeah. You know, maybe Ice Cube doesn't speak about liberation. Yeah. uh, But to our progress. Yeah. uh, We should regard both in the same light. He's getting some massive resistance. Yeah, from black the so-called black leadership class. Yes, that doesn't that doesn't seem uh, uh, you know a a good sign of things to come if Biden wins to me. Yeah, uh, in, in some ways, yeah. uh, you know, and it's really going to take us to push from below to to force a conversation and to force uh, you know a fight amongst the working class. I think the black leadership class is going to do what it do. Yeah, in some sense, you know yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, how are we going to resist, and how how courageous are we going to be to call out all the different specific ways that the black misleadership class is misleading our communities? Yeah, are we willing to confront all the different ways, mm-hmm. right? Or do, are we still hung up on certain class, race, ethnic, or even gender and sexuality hangups? Yeah. That uh, don't allow us to critique the system how we need to. I mean, to, to, to resonate with our people and to organize and mobilize our I people. I mean, hell, I hate to say it right now, is letting us know that that is what it is. Hmm. That 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 is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, you know, we can't have an effective change about affecting the whole black community. We can't even say black people, and that be considered to be all inclusive, without our own people trying to flush out. Some form of, you know, uh, individual, you know what I'm saying, game. Yeah, I mean, and I think the no matter what the intention is, I think the result is division. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I, I think what goes into it somewhere, we're going to get into this, is this misappreciation and marginalization of black male specific oppression, gender and sexual oppression. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you do see... Um, we talk about it in, in earlier episodes a level of competitive victimhood, and this is what's mobilized in resistance to calls for independence. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so it's a lot to get into, and we're gonna really and and this is why Brittany Cooper's recent interview with the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos, <laughs> is, is uh, gonna be really instructive on on these issues, and we got a lot to talk about in our next segment. So uh, with that, uh, we'll say uh, free to land to the, uh, take a little break. Peace. Peace. All right, Aki, we back from break. Fire this time, episode 17. Yes, indeed. So as you know, Aki, if 
Trump is elected, it's gonna be black man's fault. We should blame black men. Hashtag blame black men. Hashtag, hashtag blame black men. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever heard of the Crusades where they conquered in the name of Christ, pillaged, you know, the Middle East and all that? Yeah. The Crusaders were actually black men. Hashtag? Hashtag blame black men. That's real talk right there. You know, your girl, you ever see girl, yourself, you got fungus on your foot? Mm. You go foot fungus, you get athlete's foot? Mm. That's the black man's fault. Hashtag. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was our fault. Black man, that goes that, that you know we did all of that. You know, I'm the reason why you got toe jam between your toes. COVID nineteen. <laughs> Hashtag man, black, black, black man. man. You know what I'm saying? For real, for real, for real. We we just can't we we, we just can't stop. We just got to spread something. You know, the uh, the black plague killed 50 million people in Europe 14th century during the dark ages. All right. Blame black man. That's black why I was called black the dark man. Ages. Yeah. That's why I was called the dark ages. Okay, that was black man's fault. I got you. I got you. Hey man, it's real out here, man. We saying all this to the people to just to say, man, this is the climate. This is the climate that we in right now. You know, um, you know this cube situation, man. This didn't expose a lot of shit. People that came out the woodwork with some shit about all black men. All black men. You know what I'm saying? Like we, 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 we. You know we gonna be the, we gonna be the cause of it all. And I see a setup. See a setup, I keep coming, man. And you know, hopefully I'm wrong. But I think I'm seeing something being set up on us, man. Mm. You know, um, the takeover. Yeah, the takeover and, 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 and the setup for blame. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So um, we got to do a little part two to this whole cube situation. We not necessarily even caping for cube right now, even though I ain't got no problem with cube. Uh, when they lock all black men in concentration camps, the mixtapes coming out of there are going to be fire. You already know. <laughs> you already know. Because they definitely going to blame black men. I mean, they definitely going to blame black men. That's going to be a whole new mixtape. Blame black men. You know what I'm saying? For real. Featuring all us niggas. It's for all us niggas. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. So, man, it's real out here. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, let's take up Dr. Jason Johnson. Yeah. This old ass. So, of course, if you've been following the hashtag we've been joking about, blame black men on Twitter. You know, a lot of jokes been coming out. This nigga, Jason Johnson, he came out with an article where he was, he was, he tweeted, African-Americans have to learn how to deal with our problematic elements just like everyone else. Hashtag blame black men. Mm-hmm. And, he, and this article was published in The Griot. And uh, so he, and this is, of course, going into the, the hashtag blame black men. So, uh, fun fact here, Dr. Jason Johnson, who regularly comments, you know, and falls in line with the anti-black misandric, uh, you know, uh, I guess, moment that we in. I just say he just be caping like hell. He be caping like hell. You know what I'm saying? He be on MSNBC a lot. So, come to find out, his mama is an FBI agent. What? His mama is an FBI agent. Oh, she worked with the pigs? The same group. That destroyed the Black Panther Party. Malcolm, Martin, Garvey. Uh, damn. So his mom is definitely active in the blame black man movement. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Uh, black My mama became an FBI agent. My mom's an FBI agent. Hashtag blame black men. <laughs> right. <Real talk. laughs> oh, just like Jamel Hill. <laughs> Jamel Hill mama be uh, voted for Trump in 2016. Hashtag. Blame, Blame black, black men. That's our, that's, on, that's our fault. It's our fault right there. Yeah, let's find, let me find Jamel Hill's tweet real quick. She said, I have increasingly found that many black men just want better access to patriarchy. They don't actually want to dismantle. She didn't put the hashtag, but, you know, it came. So, and then let me just read this response tweet because, you know, it, it might set up a good conversation. Well, this is from at Rhodes to Zion. On Twitter at Rose Design, he said he responded. He said, "Black men fill the prisons, forever standing unemployment lines, and face relentless assault from the media every single day. Yet you are trying to tell us we want better access to patriarchy for what? The reason black men are so disaffected is because we aren't patriarchal." There you go. He's right. We're not patriarchal. Not patriarchal at all. At all, especially in 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 the sense of this white supremacist white patriarchal colonial society all studies show every study that they did on men we are black men mm-hmm. we are the most progressive mm-hmm. out of all of them we are increasingly found to be more progressive on black feminist tenets than black women yeah so it's like I don't get it but um 
And that's if you, if you want a citation for that, check out Evelyn Simeon's work. Okay. Evelyn Simeon's work. Facts. He's giving you facts. You so, know, uh, so yeah, we, we we knee deep in this shit, Aki. We need yeah, knee deep. It's, it's it's really yeah. It's some it's some weird stuff right here. You know, we seeking to be patriarch. So uh, another another uh, response tweet. So uh, somebody said, I'm not even gonna read the name. They said black men already have access to patriarchy. We live in a patriarchal society. What black men want is the ability to weaponize their patriarchal privilege without accountability. And our sister just that. Uh, grill or girl G-R-L-L uh, she said on Twitter this false equivalence of comparing black men to white women is rooted in idiocy mm. they don't conspire with white men like other groups of men do to uphold a system that is based on oppressing them mm-hmm. they cannot put their gender before their blackness or ever aspire to just have these male privileges and she's right yeah. she understands the makeup of this colonial society. Mm-hmm. She sees beyond this algebraic intersectional theory, you know what I'm saying? And sees actual, the actual gender, uh, uh, I guess, theory and frameworks that come out of a, a white colonial society yeah. and how they oppress uh, the colonized. Colonial and racist society, right. you right. know? So um, I guess this kind of drives us home to the heart of it, right? And um, I, so I guess we should go ahead and get into Brittany Cooper. Yes. yes. So as we should know by now, Brittany Cooper is a public intellectual uh, that is uh, part of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, yes. and um, has written books like Eloquent Rage and other black feminist works uh, that... Um, I'm sure that there's some worthwhile elements in there, mm-hmm. but as you're about to see, you know, Brittany Cooper's understanding of gender and the black community is not just lacking, but also very comfortably fitting within a white colonial patriarchal society. Hmm. It, it, it fits quite nicely within the frameworks that arise from our oppressors Yes You know what I'm saying And uh, of course We have already discussed The influence of white feminism On uh, uh, These tropes That we're about to read Yeah So This is an interview That Brittany Cooper had On um, In in the Washington Post And did I write down This brother's name That she had this in- Yeah Jonathan Capehart Yeah Jonathan Capehart You're a fa- Are you a fan of Jonathan Capehart? No he be, on, he be on Fox though I've No CNN CNN or Fox I think it's CNN. He he runs in that camp. So, yeah. So, what is said here... uh, Yeah, he has an article also in the Washington Post. Before we get into the interview, the article is titled The Eloquent Rage of Brittany Cooper Over Black Men Voting for Trump. And he quotes from the article, Apparently, y'all want to be 2020... Y'all want to be to 2020 what white women were to 2016. And that was a quote from Brittany Cooper in his article. And, of course, this calls back to the same mistake that Kimberly Crenshaw, who coined the term intersectionality, makes aligning black males' gender depression, uh, intersectional oppression with white women's intersectional oppression and saying that we don't have a race and gendered oppression. Mm-hmm. That's what the, interse- you know, the person that coined intersectionality believes. And we see that here, too, uh, you know, saying that we're like white women in 2016. Hmm. Uh, you know, just totally marginalizing, you know, black male experience and, and our political thought. But anyways, let's get to this interview. Uh, so here, uh, here's uh, one of the quotes from Brittany Cooper, and then we'll let Aki, you can respond to this. And so when Cube comes out and says the Trump administration is the group that is responsive to black folks' concerns, then it creates this context for black men to continue to jump ship. So let's just stop there, just hmm. very quickly. Of course, Cube, it's funny because in the transcript of this interview, it reads like an actual quote from Ice Cube yeah. saying the Trump administration is the group that is responsive to black folks' concerns. Ice Cube has stated publicly in every interview we watched, Aki, Everyone. and we watched about five or six of them, that he feels pretty much the same about Democrats and Republicans. None Biden of them have been Trump. responsive enough. Right. He doesn't feel the Trump campaign is, yeah. is, is honestly responsive. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, of course, this alignment of Cube with uh, Trump is, is meant to marginalize this black independent voice. The fact that he talked to him. Talked to and, and, and uh, no, the no, campaign. No, 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 yeah. yeah, he didn't even talk to Trump. He talked to the campaign. Mm-hmm. The very fact that he talked to him um, makes it so we can now align Cube and say that all black men are disloyal God and all black man. men need to be controlled. So, And this is exactly what she continues to say. So let's continue reading. And what we know, if we think structurally, is that black folks typically do better under Democratic administrations than Republican administrations. Of course, that could change just like it changed from slavery. Mm-hmm. So let's not act like it can't change again. If you don't believe it can change again, I wonder why. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In the next 50 years, why couldn't it change? Exactly. Uh... Now, she goes on to say, Cube is undercutting all of that. And everybody is then relying on black women voters to come to the polls and pull the Democratic Party over the line. She's trying to position herself and black women as this group that is deserving of the sympathy and empowerment and resources from this white liberal society. It's interesting to see that. But also, I mean, this idea that Cube is undercutting all of that, trying to make it out for Cube. And, of course, I was about to see all black men as deviant elements. Aki, it's real simple. What that lets me know is that if Trump somehow, some way, don't, may not, it don't really look like it right now, but if he somehow, some way, wins the presidency, what she just said is the setup to blame black men. Mm-hmm. Hashtag blame black men. Mm-hmm. Real talk. Um... Pretty much, we don't, we have grew um, dissatisfied with um, the Democrats. There's a large segment of black people who grew dissatisfied with the Democrats. Um, I don't necessarily agree with, like, we should jump to Republicans. I'd rather do our own damn thing. But it's like a setup. Mm-hmm. It just seems like, oh, and now they're looking to us to pull pull the Democrats over the border, and black men are going to talk. Nah, nah. It sounds like a setup to me. That's what it sounds like. They setting it up for black men to be blamed. This really sounds like this, right. if you go back 100, 200 years, this sounds like the same way the elites sought to divide. The working class by race, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like just in general, like you're gonna push, you have one group push down another group to rise above. Mm-hmm. You know, just in the simple, most blunt, you know, nigga logic. Like th- that's what this is really seeming like from this elite class yeah. of, uh, you know, black commentators. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I say this, you can probably even see it in the early days. Uh, when Frederick Douglass had to deal with that, and his argument with some of the founders of feminism. Oh yeah, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, uh, yeah. Susan B. Anthony. He had to quell. He had to quell that argument. Him and some others. Well, he did. I think they were pretty unsuccessful. Of yeah, course, they were of unsuccessful. Course, then, of course, black men were still able to get the vote, and of course, we know that that vote was not wielded patriarchally yeah. like white feminists warned. Yeah, exactly. Black men wielded that vote in concert with their families and communities to represent mm-hmm. the interests of the families and communities in concert with their wives and their children. Yeah. So, so if you look at the history, you see that it's uh, it's a record, right? We got a long record of, of of voting in that way, right? And of course, black men were always greater supporters of women's suffrage than white men. True. Um, but to continue, yes. Um, Brittany Cooper is then asked by Cape Hart about why do you think. Trump is able to uh, connect with black men so-called so well, even though we know that's a farce. Yeah. Brittany Cooper responds. She says something about, uh, I forget what, what about, but then she continues. She says, but really what this is about, in Brittany Cooper's words, in my estimation as a feminist scholar who thinks about these kinds of concerns around gender, is that this is black man being actually enamored with the kind of masculinity that Trump performs. 
look, there are plenty of hip-hop songs that have celebrated Donald Trump for the better part of 30 years because he's literally the dude in the club that's making it rain. He has lots of ladies. This is a man who aspires to mediocrity in every part of his life, and yet he does not keep him from rising to the top, from getting access to the American presidency. And there's a way that black men have been made to believe that because white supremacy has worked on them primarily by restricting their access to all the spoils of manhood, to the money, to the political power, to even to the sort of, I guess, noble power protecting their women. For a lot of black men, their racial freedom aspiration is just to be equal with white men, which is to say they want to be patriarchs or male dominant in the way that white men are. BLM, black feminist scholar, Brittany Cooper. Hashtag blame black men. So here we see the mimetic thesis in action. What do I mean by mimetic thesis? Let's all, brothers, sisters, everybody listen, let's all get this into our vocabulary. Yes. The base, the base, the root of mimetic thesis is mimic. Mm-hmm. So what this theory or what this framework bundle of ideas utilized by these uh, 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 sharks, hmm. really, is the idea that because black men are so incompetent, because black men are so dumb, so lazy, so uncreative, without an imagination, dull. Because they are like this, all they can do is mimic the power that's before them. And that's white patriarchy. That's white patriarchy, of course. Oh, oh. So the mimetic thesis is one that says all we can do is mimic white patriarchy. And of course, this was first written by Thomas Jefferson in the notes from Virginia. Hmm. And I got to give a shout out to Rennie uh, on Twitter for being uh, making that connection mm. uh, uh, so well on the tweet uh, that I seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, so this has a long history, this mimetic mm. thesis of reading black males as dull, as unimaginative, and as only able to mimic white patriarchs around them. Of course, this is an inhumane idea. Yeah. This but, is, but, 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 but we see it utilized by you know this Washington Post published black feminist scholar yeah. to uh, mislead her audience about the political aspirations and, to, and and lean as a black man that empirically there's empirical data you know what I'm saying that speaks uh, uh, far against what she's talking about how how could black men general like she says black men dominantly just aspire to white patriarchy despite not even the majority of us voting for Trump. Mm-hmm. But I, but even beyond that, she says this is our aspiration. This is aligning. This is making us out to be disloyal. Hey, it's funny. If you can make us disloyal, you can more easily marginalize yeah. us and kill us in the streets. Blame. Right. That's why when we say that these people, like Brittany Cooper, feed off the deaths of black men, this is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Brittany Cooper doesn't care about the deaths of black men the way that you think she does. Yeah. Well, Not when she is utilizing, uh, you know, her platform in a way to make these inhumane artic- uh, arguments about us. Hey, it's funny, Aki. You talked about the mimetic thesis, and it's funny. Because Brittany Cooper is actually doing it. Right. Um, she's she, The statement she made of us imitating white patriarchy is the same shit Mary Kids, uh, 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 Stanton was telling to black women d- during those years. She was saying that these black men will rule over you like white, pa- white patriarchs. She said the same thing. Making an, and, and that's why Frederick Douglass spoke up against her. Mm-hmm. So it's like, who's really mimicking who? It, let, let's go on to see what she has to say, bro. Because this is pissing me off now as I read more into it. Brittany Cooper continues, and so Donald Trump presents a path to that because he's really unintelligent. He is a brute in the way that he says things, and we sort of know these brothers in our community. They don't read. They show up to the meeting, they want to run everything, but they're clearly not the tightest person in the room. They're not the most rigorous. This is trying to portray black men as just generally incompetent, as generally stupid. Yeah. What, what, how could you possibly on a, in Washington Post still mimicking white supremacist, white feminist supremacist ideology? This is white feminist and blackface. Brittany Cooper, you are a white feminist and blackface. I, for, I, for, I respect, I'm glad you gave that knowledge about the mimetic thesis. I'm glad that you know what I'm saying because that gave me something to work with right now because I'm saying this shit. 
They think all we can do is mimic. They, they, she, Brittany Cooper feels the same way about black men as Thomas Jefferson did when he wrote the notes on Virginia. Oh, God, we. She you thinks know? we're unimaginative, dull. We don't read. And, and, but, Me, but, meanwhile, her comment section, she's having the black niggas get shit off of her Twitter comments because niggas that read is tearing her ass up, and she's tearing running from it. Hey, yeah, it's been a lot of people that's taking on her, and that's all they say is that she t- she either she take her she end up taking those posts down because she can't take the heat. You know, you can't. See, there's no basis for that type of thinking and leveling up in the movement. I don't really think, like, you don't have a a historical basis for those type of things, except in white supremacy. Brittany Cooper only knows about black men through the hip-hop that uh, these record labels sold her and put in front of her. Yeah. It seems like that's the only way that she is really... Uh, you know, utilize, talking about black men. And even though... I don't know if that's how she really feels, but that's how her discourse and rhetoric is based on. Yeah, and it did not reflect the whole black male population at that time. At or all. period. Ever. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it's like... Let's go back to the empirical studies. Evelyn Simeon's work. Mm-hmm. Black men have a better... have a higher support of black feminist tenants routinely so than black women mm-hmm. and maybe it's because we're so marginalized or marginalized in the ways that we are by the society we mm-hmm. make up 99 percent of black police murders mm-hmm. this year in the black community yeah you know what i'm saying maybe that type of marginalization opens us up to the freedom and rights of others yeah but people don't ever want to consider black men in these humane type of ways no. I, I know no. people are getting uncomfortable be just even even I guess mentioning that framework of thinking well you know what it's, it's because it's not been in the in the basis of one that studies through academia because right. academia hasn't kept hasn't hasn't uh, explored and delve deeper into this issue because, like they need to some people are now because academia as an institu- as a national institution is invested into anti-black black misandric tropes. True you know indeed. What I'm saying? Uh, to, of the wider society, you know what I'm saying? Because, uh, of course, as a white institution, is going to support, you know? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and also develop and produce the theories that the media and politicians can latch on to, as we're seeing, as yeah. we're seeing. Yes. I mean, you know, so, it's, it's tricky. It's, so let's continue. It's a talking still. She's still talking about Trump. It's a version of masculinity that he portrays, and these black men think they can get on board board with it. And it's also rooted in the idea that it is really deeply disdainful of women. He sees women as objects and ornaments, and his entire posture is about I have a lot of money, so I'm smart, and look at all these women that I have who are dope. And it's in a hip hop ethos that appeals to folks, which is why we see some of his most prominent supporters being folks like Kanye West and Ice Cube. And of course, that's a lie about Ice Cube. Yeah. And I think, and of course, Kanye West. Uh, I guess she knows she can't make. She can't say Kanye West is like all black men. Yeah. Because everybody would reject that. Yeah. But she's trying it with Ice Cube. Yeah. But of course, it's a misread of Ice Cube. She's trying to. She's she's trying to say we're all like Kanye West through this loose connection of Ice Cube. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and I think that's what brothers are responding to. And I think that people who are doing this thing with them in our community where they're saying, well, you know, young black men and black men more generally are so disaffected with this system because it is racist. And we really need to think about that. Do you do people not think that black women know the system is racist? So um, I don't understand where that last part yeah, came I don't, from. I'm a little confused. Uh, but, you know, th- that just shows the circular argument of these I'm sorry, unintelligent intellectuals. Yeah, I you mean, know? um, I, I just don't, I don't get that, you know. And but that's 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 the catch, though. You know, it's nothing wrong with being intellectual. It's nothing wrong with being academic. You know, I, I agree. You know, they should be, you know, delving into the deeper aspects. You know, psychology and other things of black folks. I agree with that. Um, but in the same way, too. They they seem to don't have no real bones with niggas. Like, you're not talking like the way we talk in the communities, in the sense of how we talk, how we think about relationships, how we feel about each other. You know, these are all assumptions being made from an ideological standpoint. You see what I'm saying? 
sometimes ideology can hurt. It could be a hindrance. You know, I mean, sometimes it can't be. And it's like, all of this is coming from an ideological standpoint. There's, I don't really see a lot of things in our everyday lives as a basis for this. Most black folks I meet, most niggas I know, we don't, we can't stand Trump. Hmm. Like, I don't meet many black men that, that, you know, when I meet it, I'm shocked. You know? And then a lot of times when I did hear, and they be like, I'm for Trump, and I ask them why, they can't even really tell me. Because the first thing I, I can easily prove with talking to them is that you hear about these tax cuts and all this shit, but you don't make enough money to get these tax cuts. So it ain't affecting you. You know what I'm saying? Unless you there already, you making over 200000 them tax cuts ain't going to help you. You know? So, like, uh, man, we, you know, it's just a sad situation to see right now, man. It really is. So I'm going to give another shout-out to my homie, uh, Rennie Tay, at Rennie Tay, R-N... R-E-N-Y-T-A-Y on Twitter. Uh, you know, a lot of great commentary about, uh, you know, all of blackness. You know, and uh, he's, he's a, a black intellectual on Twitter. Y'all need to check out. Anyways, I really like what he had to say in response to um, this uh, commentary. He, uh, so he's responding to somebody saying, how does the year start with protesting the crime of police brutality that disproportionately affects black men and end with blame black men? Mm. So Rennie uh, responds with a thread. Because the commentary on death of black men is about social mobility, profits, popularity, and performance. Yes. Public intellectuals, academics, and pundits are allowed to frame and extract theories from the racist, misandric violence black men experience just to call it something else. Black men, ask for the data. Ask what background assumptions make up the interpretations people have of you. How does it align with your experience? Not just theirs. These people have constructed a mythos around your being because they define the discourse. Mm. Challenge that shit. They attempt to control discourse through the act of labeling. Labeling allows them to insert meaning into who you are. Because many of these people regulate the discourse through narrative, white supremacist modes of thought. It is your existence which is deviant, not your acts. Mm. It is your existence which is deviant, mm. not your acts. And that's what we experience as black men. Ooh. So Rennie finishes up. This is why no matter your experience, your actions, behaviors, or aspirations, you will be defined based on their interpretation of what it means to be a black man. Black, a black man. Challenge that shit. So I had to share that just because uh, as far as wrapping up everything we just said, he puts it beautifully and so concisely. Yeah, that, was, that was straight you know to saying? the point right there. I like that. Yeah. I mean, so shout out again at Rennie Tay, R-E-N-Y-T-A-Y. We got to show love to, uh, you know, people that just, you know, put our experience yeah. in a way that just, you know, is, is accessible mm. and, and resonates. You know what I'm saying? We got to share that. We got to share that because, you know, that's our job as revolutionaries. Yeah, that was solid right there. I like that. So, uh, you know, with that, I, I think that is a a, a wrap, a great wrap-up, you know what I'm saying? Yes, uh, it is. As far as, you know, what we're trying to oppose uh, mm-hmm. in this discourse that, you know, has to be confronted. Yes. You know, um, you know we, we're not seeing the confrontation by political organizations uh, to uh, this rhetoric that is, you know, accepted by Brittany Cooper. You know, and, and it is currently accepted from my point of view within the Black Lives Matter movement, the views that she has. Yes. And, um, you know, and if we're not careful, that will f- infect not only the Black Lives Matter movement, but even more nationalist movements. Yeah. As they seek to, uh, you know, empower the people and, and rise to a national <laughs> stage in this environment. It'd be like another blow to me, mm-hmm. to the uh, the Black Power movement, another slice of division put into the pie, mm-hmm. you know, to have... Um, These type of things go on right now, you know, and um, it's some real shit. Like I say, I think this is sort of leading up to a setup, you know, mm-hmm. of blame. And um, what are the Democrats willing to make a deal on with the Supreme Court? You know what I'm saying? Mm. What type of great compromises to come? You know what I'm saying? If we remain powerless, yeah. you know what I'm saying? We should consider that. Yeah. But I don't plan to remain powerless. Yeah. 
you know, that's why we're talking about these things. And that's why, uh, you know, it's all about organize, organize, organize. True indeed. You know, let's take this theory and put it into practice and how we organize and how we, you know, frame things for our people. Because we need to resonate with the people to reach the people. We got to speak the people's language and speak to their experiences, yeah. their actual experiences, not what we theoretically think they are. Yeah. We had to speak to our actual experiences of our community if we're going to resonate with them. And currently, the Black Lives Matter movement is not doing that. Brittany Cooper and those that think like her is not doing that, and they never will. So what are we going to do, people? Mm-hmm. Brothers, sisters, family, what are we going to do? All right, it's time. Episode 17, y'all. Peace. Peace.